This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese, where cheesemakers have been making award-winning cheese for generations. Go to wisconsincheese.com to order directly from Wisconsin Dairies to your home. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a source of excitement or an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, well, come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3 to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Fundraising for a restaurant project is no walk in the park. One can prepare to be met with underdelivered expectations for most of your list of potential investors. Oftentimes, those include friends and family. Ghosted calls, delays, and loan denials are all a natural part of the territory that comes with getting checks in hand. It is only a dedicated and impassioned person that can weather the challenge. For most, we hope the journey is fruitful in taking you to the next step. That was the story six months ago. Today, you can go ahead and pile on top of that the COVID-19 pandemic and a march for racial equality and police reform. First of which has meant closures and massive restrictions on business operations, as well as a volatile market for both banks and your potential investors. While many restaurants are currently closing their doors under the realization that operating at partial capacity is a minor failure at best and a catastrophic one at worst, many people will forge ahead with their plans. Some will capitalize on opportunities that may arise like lower rents and decreased competition, and some will simply pull the plug. Optimistically, we are hoping today will be the story of perseverance through this challenge and part of the former about forging ahead and not the latter of what Alex just stated. So we're super excited today to catch up with Chef Todd Richards. Todd is the culinary director of One Flew South and Chicken and Beer in Atlanta, Georgia. Todd is also the author of the Raved About Cookbook, Soul, A Chef's Culinary Evolution in 150 Recipes. And within that book, this James Beard Award-nominated chef shares his personal culinary exploration of soul food. Um, So we had started catching up with Todd, and the story is so interesting that I was like, wait, I want to save it for all on air, so we're all surprised. Um, (laughs) So when I was um, doing, when we were doing research, you know, for this episode in advance, I saw that you were planning to open a barbecue restaurant in, in Atlanta, um, and I thought that's what we'd be talking about today, but spoiler, it's not. So catch us up. Um, and that article is from March, 2019. So catch us up on, on what has happened in between. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, and thank you all both for having me, first of all. Uh, it's just funny, you know, when you think about opening one restaurant and you get delayed, 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 and then a, um, something like COVID comes about and everything stops and then you become ill yourself with, with COVID. And then you have to pick up the pieces and try to figure out, you know, how the hell you're going to, uh, you know, survive uh, a horrible illness and then go ahead and still, you know, live out your lifelong dreams of opening restaurants and being a responsible member of the community. It's been a, a challenge, but it's a challenge that I think that we're all up for. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, let's unpack that a minute because so, 
So basically you'd started working on a restaurant in one space. Not only mm -hmm. did the entire hospitality world collapse around us, but you also yourself got sick with COVID. So, wow. So I'm glad you're feeling, are you feeling better? You're recovered? I, I am about 95%. And, and I was, I've been uh, recovering for about two and a half months now. Wow. Uh, Wow. So, and I didn't have all the typical symptoms that everyone else had with the fever and things like that. Mine were more uh, delusion. I was so de delusional. Uh, it was crazy. I was telling people, I was talking to people that died over 10 years ago uh, wow. during that entire time. And uh, the breathing part was actually like laying on the ground and felt like someone was standing on your back. I mean, that is essentially how I felt for about two weeks. And then I started to feel better. And then after that, I had uh, walking pneumonia, uh, bronchitis, and sinusitis, which is all related to those things afterwards. So I was ill again and, and still throughout that time was trying to figure out how to get a restaurant funded and, and opened as well. Oh, my God. Well, I'm so glad That's you're feeling better. Story, yeah. Glad yeah. you're better. Were you, in the, were you hospitalized? Uh, no, no, I refuse to go to the hospital. I, I, I've been in the hospital enough to know that you don't necessarily get well in the, in the hospital. You're clear. You know? well, it's good that you did not have to go. And... You know, so I, I said, you know, unless I'm uh, passed out on the ground and no one can wake me up, you know, I am not, not going in there. Just send the medicines to the house and I'll, I'll take care of it from there. Uh, and I have to give a lot of credit to all my family and friends who checked on me daily. Um, at one point, I had to turn my phone off because I didn't get, couldn't get any rest because everyone was checking up on me, <laughs> you know, all the, all the, all the time. Good, good to yeah. be loved, yeah. Yes. Well, that yes, must yes. have given you even more, I feel like, um, motivation, inspiration to sort of to get the restaurant going where you want to go. I mean, having you know, a brush with a serious illness and something that's taking a lot of lives and, and messing up a lot of families at the moment, right? Yeah, most most definitely. And, and also, you know, as a chef, you know, we always have found a way to persevere through uh, the hardest times. Uh, we you know we saw it in 9-11. Uh, we've seen it with you know, bad weather and snowstorms. We saw it with Katrina. Uh, we see it every day. You know, we see it now with, you know, the horrible um, tragedy that will happen in Minnesota. And, we're, you know, we're all navigating through these things uh, you know, uh, as best as we can. But, you know, food is the, the common thing that brings us all together uh, at the table. So hopefully we can get more restaurants, you know, operating in full capacity and get more people opening. And hopefully we can stem off the tide of restaurants closing uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, it's something we've talked about a lot in this, you know, season of the show and just with our colleagues is that, you know, restaurateurs and chefs are just so used to nourishing everybody else, their communities and disasters and all of these things. And it's like, who's, who's nourishing them back at this point in time. It's, you know, it's definitely a challenge. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how your plans have changed since for this restaurant, since COVID, you know, since before COVID and during, and now as we're starting to sort of come out um, from the lockdowns and see some reopenings? Well, you know, one thing just in understanding how to even design a restaurant, uh, a lot of that has changed, you know, just from uh, not to bore everyone with systems, but you know, the point of sale system, you know, understanding how to get the best one where we can be flexible in either being straight at a counter or we can give uh, servers, you know, handheld 
so they don't have to go back and forth with guests, uh, things like that. Just in understanding those basic systems, uh, having a fountain Coke machine compared to having going only to bottle, you know, and canned service, things like that, that you never think you have to really debate and, and just in understanding the operation you have to, and that really speaks to also funding also because, you know, you have to have more space for bottled products than you do for necessarily fountain products. Uh, you have to be flexible. And, you know, to our point that we're not even going to be a cash operation, we're only going to do credit cards because handling cash is just not safe uh, for us. Not even safe, you know, just in general, you know, for to have cash in your restaurant. But it's not even safe for us to keep handling that amount of cash, you know, the way it's transferred back and forth. Right. So when, before COVID hit, you had picked out a space and there, you ran into issues with the city in terms of like requirements. So you, you dropped that space. And then when did you find the current space that you are actually sitting in as we speak? Yeah. So the city um, planning, and they do a really great job of trying to plan, you know, spaces for it. It's just that it became cost prohibitive for us to, we're going to actually put more money in building the outside parking lot than we were going to be putting into the restaurant, which makes no, no real sense, uh, Financially, so I, I my real estate uh, uh, agent came across a space uh, just in, in her travels around, and she knew I was at home doing nothing because I was recovering from from COVID. So I called a, a chef friend of mine, asked him to go over there and check out the space because I couldn't couldn't leave the house still. I was really still too fatigued. And he actually came over and checked out the space, and we went back and forth with the landlord, you know, pretty quickly. And the space been empty since December. And the landlord said, I was really waiting for the right person to come in and take over the space because it's a great, you know, has great bones. It was a previous barbecue restaurant already. And the negotiations only lasted for about a week, put a deposit down uh, on it. And, and you think really he was incentivized because of what's going on? That I, you know, I, I don't think they were, because they own restaurants, I don't think there's necessarily, in, there's an incentive to do so. I believe he had more incentive to find the right person right. that can, can actually do things in flex mode uh, for the operation. And what I kind of mean by that is that we're building a space that can do catering to go and eventually open back, you know, for the public. So we can have different ways of making revenues. Uh, regardless of what's taking place. And I believe that's way, the way restaurants have to be moving forward. This is not going to be the only pandemic that we have uh, there's, or the only tragedy that we're going to have where we're going to see these things happening. There's more people in the world. We have more access to cameras. You know, we're going to see this happen again. So we have to be able to be flexible. And I believe it was just waiting for the right, the right person in the right time. Do you, do you feel like you had... How was like the, you said it only took about a week to negotiate the lease, but mm -hmm. tell us about that. Like, do you feel like because there is this pandemic and the hot space had been empty and you are the right operator for them, did you have any more leverage in terms of like lease terms? Did you go for something traditional or did you try the percentage percentage of sales based model or, well, you know, how does. We do. We went through a flex model uh, of that uh, of, of base and and percentage, which makes makes sense because there's incentives yeah. on both sides. Um, mm -hmm. That you know, and that's really why you know I wasn't really looking to do another restaurant at that point in time. But it really just makes sense uh, because you know the airport restaurants are not open right now. I, I don't have a sense of time frame in which they're going to be to be open. 
so, you know, I'm, and I'm still out, uh, still recovering, so I'm still on FMLA. So this really gives me something to not only occupy my time, but also build a, a long-lasting future for, for the community, as well as employ people that, you know, that are, there may be unemployed, and especially since unemployment is going to change after July 25th, uh, we're going to see people losing, you know, that substantial amount of money that they were making before. So it gives me something, you know, really to, to focus on. And, you know, people always know that my background is in fine dining, but I always say fine dining is my brain, but, you know, barbecue is really what my soul is. I, I came up in a family of barbecue, and it's something that still utilizes a lot of those fine dining techniques, um, but it's really where, you know, I always wanted to retire in a space like this, so it's building a future for, for that retirement. Uh, yeah. You're too young early. to retire. <laughs> like you're well, too you, young. Know, you know, you, you know, you uh, you know how it is in, in restaurant life, though. You know, you might look young, but your bones feel <laughs> <laughs> your bones feel like you're very old. You know, so it's, 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 yeah. It's a good. I mean, the you know, it's a good point. Even a lot of chefs who have fine dining backgrounds, such as yourself, have pivoted their restaurants from a fine dining, you know, from a fine dining restaurant to something that is easy to take out, easy for people to pick up, you know, that does translate to not sitting there and telling the story on one plate, one plate of plated food. So I mean, I, th I think it makes a lot of sense. And in some ways, maybe you are an, an, an advantage to be growing this from the ground up. Um, so I like, so I am curious. Of, oh, go ahead, Alex, are you gonna say something? I was gonna say, I think it also, um, also, I think the times are going to call for a different type of food, you know, you know, economically speaking, you know, we're in the, in the midst of the beginning of a recession, uh, which we don't know how long it's going to last. And so I think fine dining is not really going to be an option for a whole lot of people. Um, and, and then I think also just the, you know, the turbulent nature of, of the things that we're going through. I mean, change, change for, for better is, you know, is, is, is something that's going to, you know, make people want comfort, you know, and, and food that makes them feel good and comfortable and happy rather than like these levels of service that were happening in, in different types of restaurants. So I think, um, I think you guys are, are certainly in a, in a great spot. In that you, know, we, you know, we saw it with, uh, with 9-11 where you saw all these fried chicken spaces open in New York. New York never served that much fried chicken. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was Sylvia's and, 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 and you know, in Harlem. And, fried chicken and, makes you feel good. <laughs> you know, and then, and then, you know, then the KFC, you know, but then after that, you, know, you saw all these restaurants, you know, serving mm -hmm. fried chicken and, 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 and truffle mac and cheese and, and trying to go to the South and find comfort. Uh, in 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 food, and that's where we've always have have flex to in this country, and uh, even understanding, you know, from the the Latin population, you know, we went taco crazy as as well when we tried to seek comfort in, in a different different way, and it was at a price point that we can, you know, that most people think they can afford. But uh, ingredients are going to, you know, naturally become more expensive just in dealing with COVID as well, because, you know, the processing plants are, are, are closing and they're dealing with those things. So, like we saw the price of brisket, you know, which is a barbecue staple go from, you know, $3.95 a pound to $11 a pound. There's going to be a lot of flexibility that consumers are going to have to have in this as well. And, and it's going to be restaurants that have to also tell them the truth about what food actually really costs. How do, you, I mean, yeah, I think, how do you make that jump? Is it, yeah. you know, is it directly a, 
a, um, you know, your brisket per pound now jumps up four times and, and hope the customer understands or are there things that you build in other places? Well, or you just simply work? just, or you simply don't serve it, you, you know, right. and or you have to serve something else like tri-tip or, or, or you know, or something like that in, in, its, in its place. I mean, we have to, to really be not only stewards for our own businesses, but we also have to be stewards for the farmers and ranchers and everyone else and tell the absolute truth about what they're going through and, 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 and give people, you know, tell people, well, you know, honestly, I'm sorry, but it costs more because it costs more. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's true across the board. And I think, you know, People have always, you know, I actually, I read, you had a really great quote in a Bon Appetit article that I was like reading and it talking about how like it takes hours to serve color, to make collard greens, but people don't have the willingness to pay for it, even though the labor cost is really high. And I think that's always been a disconnect with that marginalized food and but made by people, marginalized groups. People have this like dissociation where they don't have a high willingness to pay, which definitely needs to change too. Um, people need to understand it's still a lot of labor. Well, you know, you look at someone like David Chang, what he's done for Korean food, where Korean food used to be just marginalized. And now you look at the last two, three years of Beard Awards and how much, you know, they, yeah. there's a presence of Korean food in there and how many restaurants, you know, are now Michelin star where it used to be only Japanese. Now you have Korean restaurants, you know, getting one, you know, two Michelin stars. So we understand that that people are willing to pay for the food, but we have to, you know, educate them. And that's the reason why I really wrote, you know, soul in that way is to say that, that this food uh, uh, can be dressed up, it can be dressed down, but the technique is absolutely the same. And so you have to pay the right amount for it. Despite challenging circumstances, dairy farmers are working hard to make sure communities across the country have fresh, nutritious food to keep us healthy during these uncertain times. It's more important than ever to eat, enjoy, and support real dairy. Want to help? Go to wisconsincheese.com where you can order award-winning Wisconsin cheese directly from cheesemakers to keep our family dairy farms in business for generations to come. We also briefly chatted, you know, offline that you were fundraising in the midst of COVID um, as well as not only negotiating the lease. So what, what was, has that experience been like? And can you tell us a little bit about your funding journey? Well, funding for a restaurant is always difficult anyway. Yeah. Um, we have plenty of people that want to be in the restaurant business that, that, that don't belong in the restaurant business that you know give <laughs> give the restaurant business a bad name to banks and lenders and things like that. Um, the biggest difficulty is that you know you always say that we're going to use things like SBA to to get a loan, but they focus solely on PPP, which forwards right. the banks and everyone else to focus on only on PPP. Um, that means that there's really no lending for anything outside of PPP uh, currently. And now the, the government is saying that, that we're going to need to go back to the, the model. So there's going to loosen up some, but it's always difficult. And then, you know, when you go to other people for, you know, who have 401k or investments and things like that, and you see the market take a tumble, the access to capital is, is, is always a, a difficult um, thing to reach and it's even more difficult now. That being said, uh, the consumers are ready for, for more 
uh, the consumers, uh, you know, with restaurants closing, you know, they've been eating the same thing for the same months. They can only cook so many of the same meals. So the consumers actually want us to open up more restaurants or have more variety and things like that. So I believe that there's going to be some balancing out probably in the next six months where the lending will open up more, but it's really difficult right now. I, I can tell anyone that they would be absolutely crazy uh, to try to do so because, and it means I must be crazy because I'm doing say. so right now. <laughs> yeah. Present company excluded. Yes, yes, but I'm the leader of that. So, you know, I believe that there's opportunity uh, and it makes sound fiscal sense to do. Uh, then you should go and do it. And if you can find a place that's turnkey, that that you don't have to raise a great deal of money for, then you should look at the opportunity and if you can do so, to do so. You should never stop being an entrepreneur uh, in this. For you see companies, you know, who are like liquor companies who make vodka go and make hand sanitizer because no one's buying the vodka anymore. And well, they're buying plenty of vodka now because everyone's <laughs> yeah. at home. I was like, look, right? I'm drinking. I don't know. <laughs> You're right. Uh, you know, but, you know, before they switch their operations, you know, say, okay, well, you know, we may not be selling a lot of vodka, but we can sell a lot of hand sanitizer. So, again, that's the entrepreneur spirit that most people uh, who were opening in a in time like this, they, they must naturally have. I didn't even think about the, like, you know, I mean, what you said about the PPP, because it, it does make sense that the SBA is, is bogged down with, like, you know, millions of customers and their PPP loans. So what about, like, small local banks? Because, you know, if they weren't administering PPP loans for people, mm -hmm. have you had any success there? Or it's just like the system is basically shut down for lending right now? Well, the, the problem is that small, well, small banks, you know, are small in general. So they have a short, smaller staff. And sure. typically, most of them are not open anyway. So to, to get someone on their phone or have the ability for them to switch to, you know, to an Internet-based communication or things like that has been proven very difficult. Uh, as well. So I can probably share with everyone that I did probably 35 banks to try to contact wow. in, in total and probably only got a response from maybe five uh, out of the, out of the 30, 35. And three of them weren't lending to restaurants at, at, at all at this point in time. The other two are still focusing on PPP and said that they will probably will get in touch with me within two to three months and I will probably already be open by then. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So what are, so how are you funding the restaurant? Did you find private investors or do you, do you want to share that? Yeah. So I have private investors. Uh, uh, fortunately I, I paid off all, all my credit cards uh, prior to this. So, you know, I, I you know, took out a loan because I can, I can do that. Um, and we're still going to look for more funding, but you know, but, because we're so delayed in the city, the city of Atlanta is not fully opened uh, for uh, government. So we can't even get our liquor license probably for another three months. Uh, so, so we're only going to open on the weekends and do to go anyways. So I have, you know, a little bit of time uh, built in for this and, and negotiating the, the, the lease with the landlord. He understood that. So we're not paying, you know, rent for, you know, for a couple months anywhere. So there's there things like that we did. To make sure that you know it was soluble for us. 
You mentioned the restaurant was a former barbecue restaurant before. Is there, is it already set up, ready to go for the most part? Are you painting and redesigning and going from there? Or? Uh, we're, we're painting. Uh, yes, we have to redesign some because we're mandated not to uh, be at full capacity because of COVID. So, so some chairs have to go in. We have to move things around. Uh, fortunately, we, you know, we do have a great big patio space and tables have to be six feet apart. And so we only lost two tables there. So we can do the patio and, and seating seating that way but it is a bit of a a challenge still because you know because you're mandated one way consumers uh perceive your business to operate a different way and so we, we're going to open the patio because we have the biggest patio space but we're not going to open indoors because there's a smaller space inside and we don't feel comfortable putting people in that smaller space and it's not only to protect you know the consumer uh, it's really to protect our staff. And one thing that I can, I always tell people, I can control what my staff do. I cannot control what consumers have done or, or what they're doing when, when they get there. And, and so, you know, I, I still have to err on the side of caution in opening a business during this time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, there's so much to, to think about. And, you know, so it sounds like you're planning for what the restaurant is going to be today and then thinking about what it's going to be maybe a few months, six months, a year from now. Tell us how like you factored, how you planned your business like that. Like what, how did you factor that into your business plan? Well, what changed uh, from before? I, I, I will say that, you know, being in the restaurant business uh, long enough to understand that you have to plan how you're going to close, um, you know, and work, <laughs> work, work backwards uh, from there. And which makes it uh, a little bit easier to understand that you have to have a one month plan, three month plan, uh, one year plan, five year plan. Uh, because you know typical leases are five years, so you know you make it to five years and you try to you know figure out from there. So we, I just worked backwards and really said that okay, you know we have five years that we're going to be here minimum. We don't need to rush and go and try to be gangbusters uh, right out the gate, which is counterintuitive to most restaurants in the way we open. We try to open in in and really try to capture as many people as possible. We're in a neighborhood where we feel that we want to be a big support to the neighborhood and that the neighborhood is going to have long-term support for us. So we're taking a little bit different approach and opening slowly and is opening only as fast as the consumers want us to be open. If there's a bigger demand you know, for us to open another day besides Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll open another day. If there's not, then we won't open, open that day. And also what we've done with our uh, management team that we're going to have in there, we have given them a percentage of ownership as well uh, in, in, in the restaurant because it's going to be some sacrifice on our end uh, because we're not going to hire all hourly people right away. Uh, it doesn't make sense for us to do so because uh, it would be irresponsible for us to bring in a lot of hourly people knowing that we're going to have to flex the business continuously all the time and I'm not going to be in the business of hiring people, laying them off, hiring them, laying them off. That's not. So, you know, we're making sure that our entire team is that we're all committed to doing this and that we're going to be here, you know, for an entire time that, that we're operating. Uh, that's amazing. So you gave, so basically gave everybody points in the company and you're only hiring salary employees. So how have you staffed it? Are you, do you have front of house and back of house to start or is it, you know, are you guys sort of cross training? How, how do you think about like who your staffing is? Well, our, our, our general manager has also worked in the front and in the back. So that's pretty easy to, to do so. 
and what it's doing to go, we really don't need servers uh, right now to open the patio fully. And, you know, waiting on our liquor license, it really doesn't make any sense to open outside of that, you know, to fully anyway. So we have a three-month plan to do so, uh, which makes it really, really great that we can have that type of time to, to do things right. As far as systems go, you know, to go is a little bit different. So we're using technology there. People will be able to open a, a order online uh, prior to uh, arriving to the space, which makes it a lot easier. Uh, we're not going to go through delivery service. Uh, if we, we're looking at how we're going to uh, service the zip codes, uh, the two zip codes that we're in, and maybe even deliver ourselves, but we're not going to do so because fiscally it doesn't make sense uh, when you think about how much money they want to take out of our out of our business. We're trying to grow an economy uh, for the people in our neighborhood and, and to give someone else our, our, our money when we can probably do the delivery ourselves in the beginning, we're going to do as well. Well, kudos to that. I feel like that's a I feel like that's something that we're going to see a little bit more as, as this goes, just the nature of uh, unemployment. I think you're going to have people that want to do the, the delivery for you in their neighborhoods and, and such. Well, and such. I so. tell people, you know, you know, Chinese restaurants have been doing it for, 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 you know, a hundred years before we had all the other technologies to, to sure. come in and, and they're still surviving at a very high rate. And so why should I give out 20 to 30% of my revenue to someone uh, who is not going to care for the food, who's not going to make sure that they put it in a hot bag to make sure it's hot, um, who has potentially, I have no idea where they have been prior, you know, right. uh, you know, right. previous to this, and it's just not a safe way to operate. It's someone yeah. else's employee, and I mean, you also don't know if, if that employer is taking care of that person. That's, that's you know, they're well taken care of uh, person, human that's out there running around with your business name on it. Absolutely. Well, we, you know, I think what you're doing is super commendable. I think it's a really brave thing to do in this climate. And I think that people who, you know, forge a new path ahead typically rise and succeed. And I think there is, you know, I think this is a really encouraging story. I hope for our listeners that you can still open a restaurant in the midst of a pandemic. So I really appreciate you, you know, sharing like what, what's giving you the wherewithal to just keep going. Is there any specific guiding light or silver lining? I would say that every day I probably have a five minute uh, conversation with myself about how stupid an idea this is, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you're like, are you crazy? You're going to do this. And, and that really goes away when you see people come pulling on your door, trying to see if you're open. Uh, when you see people uh, stopping by saying, hey, we live two doors down and we're happy that you're here. Uh, when you see uh, purveyors come in and say, hey, we're going to support you 100%, all those conversations uh, go away uh, really quickly. And, and also when you understand that, um, that we all have families at home, that, you know, that uh, for, I'm fortunate you know, to have a family that support, that's supporting me getting this done. Uh, and, and it's really a payback you know, for, you know, to them for their commitment uh, of always being at the restaurant, always being champions, always putting up with me writing a book um, staying up late at night and not necessarily being home. Uh, I do a lot of this for them. And if you put your energy into good things, uh, good things will happen. Awesome, Chef. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, you know, and we wish you the best of luck. We'll follow along on the journey. Um, and when you are ready to announce the opening date, please let us know so we can share it and shout it out to the, to the world. 
Um, we always do like to do a little segment of a restaurant announcements that normally it's opening soon, right? But we're in this <laughs> right. weird period, so it's reopening soon right now. Is there? Do you do you have any other anybody you want to shout out for reopening? Um, or that's just opening like you. You'll be in our opening soon announcements eventually. Yes, uh, there's a great restaurant that just opened called Talent Market uh, here in Atlanta. These guys, uh, they started as a pop-up and they actually opened about two weeks ago, doing to go. And there's another restaurant called Little Bear that uh, opened, well, opened when everything shut down as well. And Jared is a you know another fine dining chef who's opening in Summer Hill uh, neighborhood more casual, and he's doing so well in to go business that he was able to keep his entire staff. So wow. you know those things also encourage me as well because we hear so many stories about everyone closing, but we never really hear about people who are pushing through and being great champions of, of the food and beverage industry. So those two right away, I really shout out because. I know, and they post, they, they open in my neighborhood too, so I get to eat their food a lot. Awesome. That's great. I mean, it's great to hear people opening. Um, we had a couple of others that were, re so we actually have one in, um, in New York and Brooklyn. Daniel Eddy opened Winter Cafe and Bakery um, on June 12th, so this is a totally new concept, and he um, is a, you know, has had several previous you know, very critically acclaimed restaurants like Rebel. Um, so that was very encouraging also to see and Missy and Sean from Lilia and Missy are back with Missy Pasta and Grocer. So you can pick that up. Um, and then we had Kwame Onwache on the show last week and Kip and Ken just reopened. So if you didn't hear that episode, give it a listen. And if you are in DC, go give him a visit. Um, Al, you want to give the update? Yeah, and then um, we have one update from one of our, uh, we had started this season uh, doing a different format where we were talking to people as they were going through the opening process and we would, you know, talk to somebody about a, a challenge that was ahead of them. And then we would catch up with them weeks or months later and see how that uh, process went. And we had talked in episode 28, uh, January of this year with Elena Yamamoto and Yael Pete um, about their permitting journey that they were uh, working on with their uh, restaurant Furies in New York's West Village. Um, and they were, you know, essentially going through the process of getting permits for building. And we recently touched base with them and sorry to report, but that they have decided that they are pulling uh, the plug on their project um, just based on where things are at the state of dining in New York City. The concept that they were going to make, which was um, like bar counter service only. And there were a lot of things that were in their uh, business plan that just did not yield well to um, the new, the new way the dining will be. And I think that that's something that a lot of people um, like you Todd are, are having to think about that it has to be something that's um, to go related or, or the ability to be flexible has to be had to go component to it has to have delivery component to it. Um, and has to be able to work for both your service teams and your customers. So um, I, I don't know how you all in, in New York, I mean, I, I go to New York, you know, three or four times a year on average, and I don't know how you all, how restaurants are going to survive there because tables are already. You know, <laughs> There's no separating tables by six <laughs> right. feet. There you is know, no social distancing. No, no. I mean, you can uh, reach over on somebody else's plate and grab some of their food <laughs> in most yeah. places, you know, so, yeah. wow. They're, they're doing some things that I think that are going to encourage closing streets and doing outside service for restaurants. 
Um, and I think that could give some glimmer of hope. I think the challenge, um, as we saw with um, Andy Ricker in, in Portland closing four of his restaurants, is that just, you know, that operating at, at 50%, if it's, it just doesn't work, you know, it doesn't really work. So you have to have components like you're talking about that, you know, people can take home with them, people that can, that can be delivered, that has a big outside space. So um, yeah. it's a tough business. It will, it, it will, will come continue. back. Um, there's awesome entrepreneurs like Todd who are going to make sure that it continues and people have places to go and eat. 100%. Todd, when um, do you plan on open and, and can you give us the uh, address and, and name and stuff of your restaurant? Uh, I will be opening in the summer, uh, which is uh, right now. And, <laughs> uh, uh, any day. And, and, and I will say that any day I, I will, will release all that information to the good folks around the world. Okay, cool. Tell everybody where they can find you on social so that they can be alerted when, uh, when, when the big announcements are made. You can always find me at Chef Todd Richards on all flat, uh, platforms. And you can also visit website uh, www.cheftodrichards.com. And I, people have been asking about the book as well. The book is back out and you can find it on my website as well. And I encourage people to do that way because I usually sign all those books that, that are ordered from the website. Order from his website, not Amazon. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ty. We really appreciate um, your, um, your story and, and giving us uh, optimistic hope on what uh, new restaurants will be in uh, as soon as this summer. Thanks for sharing. My pleasure. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join.